Back in 2011, uh, my friend Dan and I undertook quite the challenge. And uh, the challenge was to teach middle school students about the will of God. We did a uh, winter camp together, a middle school uh, winter camp, and our theme for the retreat was will. And uh, we got into the will of God and talked about the will of God with 6th, 7th, and 8th graders, uh, 11 to 14-year-olds. And it was really good, uh, really challenging stuff. In fact, Jonathan uh, was at that retreat. He was a part of that retreat. Um, And the guy's face represented each of us trying to find out what God's will is for our life. It's really hard to know and do the will of God. It's hard to know God's will sometimes, and it's definitely hard to do God's will sometimes. Uh, Scripture, though, tells us that God's will is important. Matthew 7.21, I just read this uh, yesterday in, um, in my Bible reading, in my quiet time. It said, uh, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Matthew twelve fifty says, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Romans twelve two says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. And we're going to complete that verse in in just a minute. Ephesians 5.17 says, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. 1 John 2.17, All the world is passing away with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Scripture is very clear. It's important to do the will of God. It's important to know the will of God. But when people talk about God's will, they're often talking about one of two types of God's will. There's general will versus specific will. Now, general will is general, and specific will is specific. I know, this is really deep stuff, right? But when we're talking about the general will of God, it's God's will that applies to all that follow him versus specific will, God's specific will applies to specific individuals. For example, 1 Corinthians 1.1 says, Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. This was God's call on Paul's life, something specific for him, not for every single person. God's call on Paul's life is different than God's call on your life or on my life in the specific things that God wanted Paul to be doing. Now, general will is clear in Scripture. John 6.40 says, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. God's will is that everyone uh, who believes will have eternal life. 
Romans 12, 2, we read it, uh, the first part of it earlier. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. And Paul answers this in the next few words. What is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the will of God. 1 Thessalonians 4 says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Holiness, sanctification, this is God's will. And later in 1 Thessalonians, it says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. 1 Peter 2.15 says, For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. And my favorite uh, in Ecclesiastes The whole book of Ecclesiastes is trying to answer the question, what's the meaning of life? What's life all about? In other words, what's God's will for my life? And it finishes by saying, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Scripture is clear on what God's general will is for his people to be living a sanctified life, to give our lives over to him, to declare him our Lord and our Savior. General will is clear in Scripture. But specific will is not. There, I, I, I've been looking for so long, but I still have yet to find a passage that says, Ben Palm, go and do this. If you find one, let me know. But I haven't seen that in Scripture. So specific will isn't spelled out in Scripture. General will is constant. General will is something that applies to everyone and it continues to apply. But specific will can change. God's specific will for you at one point in your life may be different than his specific will for you at another point in your life. So sure, that makes specific will often difficult to do because it's not as clear. However, and remember, I kicked this off by saying that it's hard to do the will of God. And yes, uh, specific will isn't clear in Scripture, and again, that makes it hard. But there's something else that makes it harder to do God's will. And with that, I'd ask you to turn to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast in the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, which was part of God's will for them. Neither shall you touch it, which is her embellishment, lest you die. 
But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, so that's her will, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. One of the things that makes doing God's will the most difficult is that our will gets in the way. God's will is to obey. He gives them a direction and he wants them to obey what he's asked. Their will is to be like God. And so God's will and their will are opposed. And they let their will win. This is a constant battle for anyone that's walking uh, a life with Jesus. A constant battle, a constant fight. Our will, God's will, back and forth. In fact, Peter makes mention of this in 1 Peter 4. It says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, check this, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. This is a wrestle. This is something that we fight with. And I believe this is what makes it harder to live out the will of God. Our human passions get in the way. Yeah, God, I know that this is what you want from me, but, oh, I really want this. And so I'm going to head this direction instead. This is what the gospel is all about. In Romans 10, 9, it says to confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord. In other words, putting him in charge, saying, God, not my will, but yours. I'm laying down my will, and I'm putting you in charge, and I'm running after you. Okay, yeah, we want to do that. And if you haven't done that before, I'd encourage you to give your life over to Jesus. Confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. I'm putting you in charge. My way doesn't work. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved, Romans 10.9 says. And for those of us that have done it, that have confessed with our mouths Jesus is Lord, well, that's great. But how? How do we continue to lay down our will and give it over to God? Well, thankfully, we have an example in Jesus of how to set aside our will and to do the will of God. John 6.38 says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Flip over to Luke chapter 22. We're going to take a look at our passage this morning. Luke chapter 22. And our passage gives us pointers on how to live out God's will instead of our own. Luke chapter 22, we're starting in verse 39. 
And I would invite you to stand where you are in honor of God's word as we read it together. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. While he was still speaking, there came a crowd And the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. Lord, as we dive into your word this morning, as we seek to understand, um, God, I pray that you would help us lay down our will. Lay down our desires, lay down our human passions, the things that we want, and in, in a realization that your will is good, that your will is better, that your will is for our benefit. God, help us um, as we just dive into this to be ready to do that, to come with open hands and say, God, this is for you. My life is yours. My life is in your hands, Lord. Um, help us with that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and grab a seat if you are standing up. Uh, we are going to dive in to our passage. Now, it's obvious that God's will comes up once in verse 42. But there are actually four things in this passage that we learn about how to live out God's will instead of our own. So let's go ahead and dive on in. And if you like taking notes, there's a link to the, to the notes uh, underneath the, the video that you're watching. And you can click that and download it and kind of take notes as you go. Uh, but I have four different blanks uh, for you to fill in this morning. And the first one is to hear God's will. To hear God's will. And I use this word here uh, in reference to the Hebrew word Shema. And Shema doesn't just mean hear, but it means to actively listen, to pay attention. Uh, It's used uh, when it says, hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. It's not just hearing with your ears, but listening and paying attention and focusing in on it. It's not passive, but it's constantly noticing. And so, 
as we look at this passage, we need to be constantly noticing things. The first thing is to notice rhythms. Notice rhythms. Verse 39, it says, as was his custom. This is something that Jesus came out and went to do often. He went out to the Mount of Olives to pray. Uh, just back in the last chapter, in Luke 21, 37, it says, And every day he was teaching in the temple, but at night he went out and lodged on the Mount called Olivet. He was going out there nightly. And so this was a regular occurrence for him. In verse 40, it says, And when he came to the place... It doesn't say anything more about what that place is, but but Luke writes it as if we should know, oh yeah, this was the place, the place that Jesus went to, the place that Jesus and his disciples went to. I mean, when Judas shows up later, he knows where to go because this is the place that Jesus frequented. It says, even in John 18, it says, Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So this was a rhythm. This is something Jesus constantly did. They already knew, the disciples already knew part of God's will for them, even before Jesus said it. And that's to pray. They knew it because they watched the life of Jesus. They saw his rhythms. And we need to do the same thing. We need to live as Jesus lived. We need to walk as Jesus walked. He spent time in the temple teaching and reading scripture. He spent time alone praying to his father. He spent time pouring into a few others, training them for ministry. These were rhythms in Jesus' life. Rhythms we need to copy. Rhythms we need to live out. Now, hearing God's will takes time. Time to seek it out. Sometimes it's just not as blatantly obvious. I mean, in this passage, the disciples didn't need to seek God's will. They knew it. Yes, Jesus said it directly to them. Pray that you may not enter into temptation. But they had already been spending time with him. They knew his will for their lives. And that is a huge part of hearing God's will. Simply knowing God. You know what your friend or family member wants because you know them. You've spent time with them. You know their desires. You know their heartbeat. And it's the same with God. The more you know him, the more you know his will. And so you won't always hear a voice or have a prompting to know what God's will is in the moment. You don't need that because you already know it. But there are other times when God's will is not as clear. And you need solitude, silence, prayer, wisdom from others, and other steps to discern God's specific will in a situation which is a whole other conversation that I'd love to have with you or that you can have in your community group. Now, I picked this image in particular because this speaker is in the middle of a train yard. Sometimes it's hard to hear God's will because of the distractions around you, because of the noise that's happening around you. So you have to remove yourself from the noise, which all comes back to rhythms. So notice the rhythms of Jesus. 
reading scripture, solitude, pouring into others, prayer, and bring those rhythms into your own life. So it's important to notice rhythms, but it's also important to notice repetition. We see this in our passage. Verse 40, it says, pray that you may not enter into temptation. Verse 46, again, it says, pray that you may not enter into temptation. Why was this repeated? Because they missed it the first time. But this wasn't the first time that the disciples had heard this. Just back in chapter 21, Jesus says, but stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place. Pray. Luke 11, as he's teaching them the Lord's Prayer, he says, and lead us not into temptation. Hey, disciples, you should have been praying for this this whole time. Notice the repetition. We sometimes need to be reminded of God's will, which is why rhythms are so important. Having those rhythms, constantly praying, solitude, spending time in God's word, pouring into others. Now, there's a lot in this passage that we don't know. First of all, we don't know what this temptation is about. Pray that you may not enter into temptation. Well, what temptation? A temptation to sin? A temptation to sleep? A temptation to desert Jesus? We don't know. The disciples may not have even known. As Jesus is saying, pray that you may not enter into temptation. They might not have known what he was talking about. We also don't know what the disciples were upset about. Down in verse uh, 45, it says um, that Jesus found them sleeping for sorrow. Now, we know uh, a little bit earlier in this passage that Jesus was exhausted from sorrow. He was about to suffer, be crucified, and die. And he knew this. So his sorrow made him exhausted. He prayed, and an angel strengthened him. And so we see the disciples were upset as well. But instead of praying for strength, their exhaustion from sorrow caused them to fall asleep. And I'm sure this has happened to you before. I know it has for me. Sometimes when you're just so stricken with sorrow... It it wipes you out, it exhausts you, and you can do nothing but just go and fall asleep. And this is what happened to the disciples. But we don't know why they were upset. We don't fully understand what was going on. And, And they didn't fully understand what was going on. They didn't know what was about to happen to Jesus. So it's not clear what they were sorrowful about. But what we do know in this is that Jesus made his will for them in that moment crystal clear. Pray that you may not enter into temptation. They knew what he wanted them to do. They knew exactly what he wanted them to do. But it's not enough just to hear God's will. It's not enough just to pay attention to it. We also have to obey God's will. We have to obey God's will. Now, before we get to the obedience of Jesus, let's look at the disobedience of the disciples. Now, again, Jesus made his will for them in that moment clear. Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And they didn't do that. 
They didn't follow through. And what's beautiful is that Jesus gave them another chance, which doesn't always happen in regards to specific will. Now, in general will, which is, again, making Jesus your Lord, sanctification, uh, living a life that's, that's holy and honoring to God, there's always another chance. There's always more grace. This is something we grow in and learn, and that, that's what sanctification is, is growing in holiness. And so there's always room for more grace. There's always a second chance. But in specific will, in God's specific will for you, there will be opportunities that are in front of you that will pass by. Here's one example that, that still sticks with me to this day, and this was almost 20 years ago. I was going to school up at UC Davis, and while I was up there, I uh, had started writing songs. Uh, and I actually went and recorded some uh, and made a little CD and uh, just, just took some of the songs that I had written and, and recorded them. And they were, they were songs uh, just about my relationship with the Lord and, and things that I was learning and growing in and stuff like that. And I was sitting and hanging out with some friends, and, and one of my friends, who is not a believer, uh, I, somehow my music came up. And one of my friends, who is not a believer, asked me, oh, you made a CD? What are your songs about? And in that moment, I didn't hear a voice from God, I didn't get some big prompting, but I knew what God's will for me was in that moment. Because I had been spending time with him, I had been praying, I had been reading scripture. I knew my Savior, and I knew in that moment, Ben, this is an opportunity for you to share the gospel with this girl. This is an opportunity for you to be bold in your faith. So she asked me, Ben, what are your songs about? And my response was, they're about life and stuff. Life and stuff. That's what I said. I had a beautiful opportunity to share the love of Jesus with somebody, and I passed. I choked. That was God's specific will for me. And that opportunity didn't come around again with that girl. And, oh, it still, to this day, just hurts me. So don't miss the opportunities in front of you. Obey God's will, especially when you know what it is. Now, sometimes do we get second chances with specific will? Yes, absolutely. I mean, even in this, pray that you may not enter into temptation. They get a second chance. Pray that you may not enter into temptation because they, they, they failed the first time. God does give second chances, but sometimes those, those chances pass by. And that, I, I know, was a learning opportunity for me in a way that I grew in just my boldness and faith. But I still think back on that and go, why didn't I say something different? I knew God's specific will for me in that moment, and I choked. Now, Jesus is the example for us to follow. Let's look at verses 41 to 44. It says, And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed. 
saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. So we see a few things about Jesus that is an example for us to follow right here. First of all, he knew the Father's will. He knew what was coming. He knew that physical suffering was coming. He knew that spiritual suffering, carrying the sin of the world on his shoulders, was coming. He knew that separation from his Father was coming. He knew the Father's will. Second, we see that he prayed for another option. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. He was bold and submissive in his prayer, which showed his willingness to obey while expressing his desire for something else. And that's an encouragement to us. Don't be timid in your prayers. Ask boldly. God, I think that your will for me is this, but I ask that this would happen instead. God, yes, I'm going to be obedient to your will, but could this happen this way instead? Please. We can be bold in those prayers. But in your bold prayers, obey God's will. We also see that he relied on the Father for strength. He knew that obeying God's will was going to be hard. We see this agony that he's suffering. Being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. His sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. So he prayed and prayed, and he was given strength from heaven. Again, we need to follow Jesus' example, relying on God for strength when facing something difficult that we know is God's will for us. We need to pray and pray. God, I know I need to share the gospel with this person. Give me the strength to do it. I wish I had just taken a minute and prayed that prayer when that friend of mine asked me about my music. What are your songs about? God, I I know I need to tell her. Give me the strength to do it. Well, you know, my songs are about my relationship with, with the Lord. And finally, Jesus obeyed God's will. It says in verse 41 that he knelt down. Um, during that, that time, the, the, the typical prayer was usually done by standing up. So in him, kneeling down is an act of submission. Then he says, not my will, but yours be done. That should sound familiar in, in the Lord's Prayer. Again, Jesus says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And again, in John 6, 38, Jesus said, uh, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And then in verse 45, it says, And when he rose from prayer, and him rising from prayer is showing that he's ready, ready to do the Father's will. So we're taught to hear God's will. We're taught to obey God's will. But through a negative example, we're also taught to wait for God's will. Look down to verse 49. 
And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Verse 49, when it says, um, shall we strike with a sword? This is one of the two swords that were just mentioned in verse 38. And in verse 50, uh, because of John's gospel, we know that this person is Peter. Peter's the one that, that brings out the sword and strikes. Now, in this, order is very, very important. Now, yes, we need to obey God's will, and we need to take advantage of the opportunities in front of us to be obedient. But we need to know and be confident of God's will. And if we're unsure, we need to wait for a response before acting. So let's look at the order here. First, they knew or they looked at what was going on. They saw what was going to happen. Second, they asked Jesus what they should do. And third, before receiving a response from Jesus, Peter acted based on what he thought was God's will. And fourth, Jesus spoke. So obviously the third and fourth steps needed reversal, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But steps one and two are also a part of this and worthy of taking note of. First, they were paying attention to what was happening. When those who were around him saw what would follow. We need to be watching what's happening around us. God doesn't have us on a remote island all alone. He doesn't have us in a Christians-only bubble. He has us in the world, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our schools. He has us where we are for a reason. And if we're not paying attention to what's happening around us, we're going to miss out on opportunities to be a part of God's will. You can't lead your neighbor to Jesus if you don't know her name. You can't meet someone's needs if you don't know what those needs are. So pay attention to what's happening around you. Second, they asked Jesus what they should do. Lord, shall we strike with the sword? Lord, I see the devastation of all the fires around us. What should I be doing? Lord, is now the right time for me to share the gospel with my neighbor? their downfall, and what we can learn from them is that they didn't wait for a response. They just acted. Now, most likely, Peter assessed the situation and decided on a course of action he thought was best, a course of action he thought Jesus would want him to take. Whoa, 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 we can't have this happening. Okay, time to get out the sword. But he didn't know the totality of God's will, and he impulsively acted instead of waiting. In fact, we see an opposite illustration of this in Leviticus 24, where it says, And they put him in custody till the will of the Lord should be clear to them. They weren't sure what to do with this guy that had sinned, and they they didn't know what to do. And so they waited to hear the will of God. Now, there's two camps. There are some of you that are hearing this that need to hear this message. Wait for God's will. 
because maybe you've been acting quickly. You've been, oh, I think I know what God's will, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this. And you, you continue to stumble with that. And you need to learn to patiently wait. Wait for God's will. But there are some of you that need to hear the message to obey God's will. You've been in this waiting phase for too long. I'm pretty sure this is God's will, but I'm still going to wait. Okay, I'm 99.999% confident that this is God's will, but I'm still going to wait. No, it's time to act. It's time to get going. So we need to hear God's will obey God's will, wait for God's will. And finally, and this is the hardest one, I think, even harder than hearing, discerning God's will, we need to trust God's will. We need to trust God's will. Years ago, I preached the hardest sermon I ever had to preach. Uh, We were in a series uh, on on Easter, a four-week series looking at the week leading up to Easter. So uh, the first week we talked about uh, Palm Sunday. And the second week we talked about Maundy Thursday. And the third week in the sermon that I preached was on Good Friday. And then the fourth week was on Easter Sunday. And it was actually on Easter Sunday that we talked about Easter Sunday. But the week before that, I, I had to talk about Good Friday without getting to Easter Sunday. And though it was really hard, it was a really good lesson for me. Because often what we do is we try to rush past the bad to the happy ending. Oh, there's this happy ending coming. I know Jesus suffered and it was awful and it was yucky. But guess what? He rose again. He didn't stay dead. And it's a beautiful message and it's a positive message. But we need to stop sometimes and sit in the pain and the yuck and the awful awful torment that Jesus went through. And so to understand what's going on, to understand what the disciples are going through, we need to think as if we don't know what's going to happen. We need to process the way that they were processing. So try to just Set that aside for a minute. I know you know the happy ending. Yes, Jesus dies, but he rises again and he dies to to take on the sin of the world. And it's beautiful. But just put yourself in the disciples' shoes. Climb into their skin. So they're out there and they've been praying with Jesus and trying to stay awake. And Judas walks up. Oh, that's Judas. I was wondering where he went. He, he left and Jesus said something about him in our, in, in our meal. And, and he shows up. In fact, Jesus had just said, But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And Judas walks up. This is Judas. Is this the betrayal that Jesus was talking about? And he tries to use a kiss, a sign of intimacy. And the other disciples are are baffled at what's happening. Whoa, Judas, you're doing this? And this is probably why Peter does what he does. Why would Jesus allow this traitor 
to get in his way, to have control, to lead this mob to arrest Jesus. No, this isn't going to happen. Peter thinks, not on my watch, and steps in thinking this is what God wants. He thought that this arrest would get in the way of Jesus' plans of overthrowing the Roman government and becoming the king he said he was going to be. This is our Messiah. This is our king that's showing up to give us freedom. And now they're trying to arrest him? Not going to happen. He pulls out his sword and cuts off this ear. But Jesus stops the attack, heals the servant who just lost his ear, and then says something that probably causes the jaws of the disciples to drop. Starting in 52. Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. And then Jesus says, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. Jesus hands over control to them. He hands over control to the priests, to the officers of the temple. We see in the next verse, it says, then they seized him. And led him away. Jesus hands over this control to them. Here you go. Yep, go ahead and arrest me. I mean, in Matthew, we get a little bit more insight. Jesus says to his disciples, he says, Do you not think, do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? That's 60,000 angels. But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? And what's going through the disciples' minds? Whoa, Lord, this makes no sense. How is this accomplishing your will? From their perspective, from their vantage point, this made no sense. You're coming here to be our Savior. You're the Messiah. We believe that. How is your arrest a part of this plan? But see, we know the end. And we know that this temporary hardship leads to an end that is way better than the disciples could have ever imagined. So we can sit here and say, come on, disciples, you need to trust God's will. Didn't you read your Bibles? I mean, in Isaiah 53, it says, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. You should have known that this was coming. But don't we have a hard time with this ourselves? I mean, when, when, when a hard time happens, when, when we're staring at something difficult in life, we're like, whoa, 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 what's going on? But Scripture tells us that this is not going to be an easy life. Jesus says in John 16, in this world you will have tribulation. In Matthew 7, he says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. 
And in 2 Corinthians 4, it says, For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. The disciples' world was crumbling. Their plans for the future were seemingly destroyed. And Jesus makes a move that makes no sense to them. And he wants them to trust him. Does this sound like 2020 at all? Our world is crumbling. Our plans for the future have been seemingly destroyed. God has made many moves this year that make no sense to you. And he wants you to trust him. How can we do that? Something I talked about at the very beginning of this morning. We need to know our Father. Know our Father. This is one of my favorite pictures. Let's take it full screen right now so that you can get a good look at it. One of my favorite pictures right here. You might have seen it before. I've used it before. This is my son, Gabriel. Notice his eyes. Notice Gabriel's face. Gabriel was a year and a half old in this picture. We were taking family photos that day. And our photographer told us just to be ourselves. And she shot us as we hung out. So as I had done many times before, I picked Gabriel up and threw him in the air. Now he had every right to be terrified. Every time I fly through the air is terrifying. The potential for injury is high. But he's not afraid. He's got a big smile on his face. Why? It's because he trusts his father. He knows his father. His father has caught him every time. He knows that his father will catch him again, no matter what happens while he's up in the air. This is how we trust God's will. We know our father. We remember how he has caught us in the past. All over scripture, the Israelites are told to remember what God has done for them. We are told to remember what God has done for us. And so we keep our eyes fixed on him. Gabe's eyes are fixed on me. He's not looking at the danger around. He's looking at his father. We need to keep our eyes fixed on the one that has a good plan for us. Jesus in Matthew 14 sends the disciples out on a boat. 
And there's this huge storm that's going on, and they're trying to row back, and (laughs) Jesus, being Jesus, just comes on out to them, walking on the water. And they're freaked out. They're like, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear, but immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. An impulsive Peter, the same guy that's like, this is a good idea, I need to pull out this sword and fight. Peter answers him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come out to you on the water. And Jesus says, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, when he took his eyes off of Jesus... He was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? Fix your eyes on the Father. Focus on Jesus. Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. The more we know our Father, the more we trust him, the easier that becomes for us to say, not my will, Lord, but yours be done. Because he's trustworthy, because he's good, because we know our Father. Lord, thank you for being trustworthy. Thank you for being good. Thank you that we can always rely on you to catch us. God, we have no need to fear. You've caught us every time and you're going to catch us again. So God, help us to trust you. Help us to trust your words, to trust that you're good. We love you, Lord. And we're thankful that you have a will for us and a desire for us, a plan for our lives. Help us to trust that, to obey it, to hear it, and and to wait for it, God. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.